I can remember sitting in there and we, we found that table and we had the coffee, the, the Americano of life changing, um, as we <laughs> were not calling it. <laughs> and and you had your manuscript. It wasn't the final one, but it was pretty much there. You are a fantastic writer. Um, it's a privilege to work with your words. It makes it so much easier when the words are so beautifully written. There's all these this paper all over this table. I don't know what people thought we were doing, but there's paper everywhere on the table in this cafe. But I can remember saying <laughs> these, these amazing words and you said, I don't know if I want to put my name on it. So yeah, what made you change your mind about that? And why did you not want to put your name on it? Welcome to The Full Stop, a childless community podcast with Berenice Smith, Sarah Lawrence, and me, Michael Hughes. And if this is your first time here, we delve into the many facets that make up the childless identity, as well as what is going on in the wider childless community. And our hope is that with all our special guests, we can help you craft your own narrative and what it means to be part of the childless community. And we also aim to educate those who are not childless so they can begin to understand and support those in their lives who may be facing a life without children. If you enjoy this podcast and want to be more involved, jump over to our website www.thefullstoppod.com and join our online community where you can become part of our live audience and have the opportunity to question our guests. Now this episode, we were privileged to talk to our friend and author Robert Nerden, who has just published his latest work, I Always Wanted to Be a Dad. So let's find out more about Robert, his book, The Life-Changing Power in a Cup of Americano, and why he did finally put his name to his work. Welcome everyone, and it's great to have us with us today as Robert Nerden. Um, I've known Robert now for a little while, and that's all I'm going to say. Robert, who are you and what do you do? Right. Well, um, my background is uh, journalism and teaching. Um, and um, I've gone between the two throughout my life with, with an emphasis on, on, on journalism, starting off at uh, local newspaper level in and around the home counties, London. Um and then gone off and done a bout of teaching. And I taught in Sweden and India and Sydney, would you believe? I wasn't teaching Australians English because I reckon they know it quite well. But I was, <laughs> there were some Chinese students from Hong Kong who were learning English in Sydney. So I was there in 1988. And uh, that was great. Um <clears throat> then from from the early 90s i've been much more uk based um and uh, i turned myself into a travel writer i worked for the independent the guardian and the telegraph uh, for my sins um the tory graph is its nicknamed um <laughs> my my time was taken up with both as a sub editor and as a as a feature writer, a travel writer, and it was, it was quite a nice um, mix. I left mainstream journalism in two thousand and six, I think it was, and journalism wasn't quite this; didn't have the same uh, appeal uh, as it had when I first joined. Um, it just became more and more like a function, particularly as an editor. 
So um, it's very much a desk-bound, office-bound job. And I was missing having more interaction with people. So yet again, I returned to teaching. And I taught, uh, I moved to Bulgaria and taught English there for two years. Came back and got a job, lucky enough to get a really interesting job teaching business English in London. So uh, having retired from journalism, uh, I still sort of carried on as a freelance writer, uh, but but doing less of it. And then I had the idea for my first book, which was published in 2021. And... um, that was a biography of my maverick grandfather. So it was called Between Heaven and Earth, A Journey with My Grandfather. And that gave me the confidence to to um, think, well, perhaps I can uh, write outside the journalism um, you know, um, field and, and do, do more my own thing. So that takes me up till about two years ago, Michael, three years ago, probably. I know there's a lot. That was a very abridged version, but I know there's a lot more to it than that. But look, um, for our listener, for our listeners' sake, and um, without giving too much away right now, what what brings you to this podcast? What brings you to a childless podcast? Ah, well, that's that's another big leap forward. Um, and you know, with these things, looking back. Things happened so quickly. Um, it was rather rather hazy. I can't put my finger on um, a- exact times and things. But I'm I'm now seventy two, and in my late mid to late sixties, I realised that um, what it meant meant really to to be childless and. I've spoken just before about my my professional career, but of course my life was um, going on as as well. And I suppose, like a lot of guys who end up childless, not by choice, for reasons other than infertility, um, there were periods of perhaps, uh, in my case, complacency. I just thought uh, it would happen that I would meet the right person and and um, become a father, become a husband. And then um time went on and time went on and it and it wasn't happening. It's not to say that I got broody in my late sixties. No, I, I got broody uh wanting wanting this to come to me um in my in my forties. Um and as I explain in my book I always wanted to be a dad. Um, I went through a period when, in my forties, um, I was um, meeting potential partners who were uh, the same age as me, late forties, and some of them were divorced and had children, or didn't have children and didn't want any. So. I was connecting and getting on well with with um, women who um, who were unable p- potentially to be um, my partner, my wife, the mother of my children. So 
I went through this very strange period of deliberately not having relationships with people who I was suited to, if you see, get that kind of paradox. Mm, yeah. Um, so it was really, really difficult. And then I came out the other side of that and uh, yeah, I was in my 50s and um, uh, I hadn't met anybody in this country, in England. And um, I made efforts to, to perhaps... Um, see if my luck changed in, in uh, abroad in another country that didn't work so and then it really hit me uh in my mid-60s um i would it was very unlikely that i would have children of course there was i still hoped but interestingly i lacked knowledge about the the older father you had a lot in the media about um older dads you know the mick jagger Bernie Eccleston syndrome of coming a father very late in life. Um, this is not only extremely rare, um, I can't remember the percentage, but it's very, very low percentage of dads who become dads over the age of 50, but it's also medically um, quite challenging. Potentially, um, there will be medical difficulties. So I didn't have that knowledge and the Typical bloke just thinking, oh, it's going to happen. That went on for a bit too. Somehow, and I don't remember how, Michael, I found the childless men's community and made connection with uh, Robin Hadley in particular. We're we're good friends now. And so this material first um, came into being through me wanting to write a play. I got a name for the play, which is Empty. And it's on my on my laptop. There's about six versions of it. I couldn't decide whether to have it as a a, a monologue, a one person play, two or or a stage play. So, in that indecision, by this time I was getting really fired up about the issue, wanting to confront what um, childlessness for for men involved. These other short essays, essays, short, just short pieces of writing, um, jottings almost, grew and grew and grew. And I thought, well, I've had about 10 or 12 of them. Perhaps there's a book in here. And I think it was one day I was talking to, chatting to Robin about it on Zoom. And uh, he's published author, of course, as we all know. And um, I said, perhaps, perhaps I can publish something here. And um, I gave it some more thought. And I, on a, I think it was a later meeting with him. I said, well, yeah, um, but um, I'd never get a publisher to look at this. And of course, this is the great advantage, and Berenice knows this well, of, of self-publishing. Um, you can get on with it very fast. You don't have to wait. You know, if I had if I had found a publisher, I'd have to wait twelve months at least. And if you if you self published, my first book was self published. You're in control. You can move as fast or as slowly as you like. And so, I think it was Robin who gave me Berenice's name and with her, her other hat on as a, as a brilliant book designer. Um, we 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 got in touch, and uh, because I live in East London down the M11, Cambridge is not far away. So we arranged to meet for a coffee. Um, 
And that was the most important Americano I've ever had in my life. <laughs> at that, at that <laughs> Cambridge that cafe. <laughs> I absolutely was, Berenice. And um, and she she arrived full of enthusiasm because I'd sent I'd sent you some 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 um uh one or two chapters, if not the whole thing. And uh, you arrived with already some visuals on hand. So we we exchange ideas over a couple of hours mm-hmm. and and the project was on yeah yeah there is a side story to to this but before we get to that side story that Baron Lees can talk about i'd just like to say thank you for allowing me to be to have a a read of your book before it was published and um i'd just like to say that that it was an impressive piece of work my my vocabulary. And this is where I'm going to feel a little bit inadequate because my I have a limited command of English, <laughs> but we're surrounded by uh, all you uh, English experts. But um, yeah, look, your story for me really felt real. It was it. I know you'd had some feedback that it didn't suit some people, but for me, um, the way you've written it, the way that uh, your your short um, I can't think of the word now, but um, the 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 way that your your story is structured, the way you've structured the book, um, was really impactful for me. So I'd really encourage people, particularly men, to to get a hold of it and read it. And I do know of a couple of blokes who've already bought it. Just to let you know. But um, there is a side story to this, Robert, about uh. This is actually a childless collaboration, your book as well. Mm. Because it's not yeah. just Berenice that was part of this. That that's right. Um quite a few elements. So so I'm glad you uh, mentioned that, Michael. Um so it was about two, two and a half years ago uh, on the child uh child community. Uh um I you gave me the green light for putting a survey out to the men on the childless men's community with, you know, a handful of questions about what it meant to be childless, not by choice. And uh, a lot of guys, maybe 15, 20, uh, replied to my survey, uh, which was really initially a back background piece of research for the play that i wrote empty uh but it just stayed there uh in a back room of my computer waiting for its time and of course it was absolutely invaluable for the book i always wanted to be a dad the play the play sort of taking a back seat and um I didn't want the book just to be my voice. It was the beginning of the book is, well, doesn't hold, doesn't hold back with the pain and regret of um, being a childless man. So it needed other voices, and it's right that there were other voices, and Berenice uh, impressed this on me. So... Um, that's what happened. And we, you'll see in the book, in the colour version, the hardback, it's different coloured paper. It's like light green, tinted green. Um, 
but on the paperback, Berenice has done a, a design uh, down those pages on which the other men's testimonies are. We call we ended up calling them chapter dividers, mm-hmm. and and that's exactly what they are. So very short little testimonies that reflect the content of the preceding chapter that I've written. So there's a kind of um, progression through there. Um, and um, they are, the, people are really noticing the testimonies as as much as, as the chapters. And um, there's some very hard-hitting comments. Is this the time to say that... Um, the it, the book grows organically, hopefully through, and I do reach an acceptance, a kind of acceptance and resolution at the end, and um, turn away from the um, uh, the the bleakness, if you like. That's what I liked about that your book is is that it, that it it didn't give us a happy ending because it it's not, but like you say, that it comes to some um, some point of acceptance. But what what I was meant to say earlier was yeah. I'm I'm really in awe of the courage that you've shown in some of the some of the chapters that you have in that book as well because it 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 couldn't have been easy to open yourself up like that. No, mate, it was it was um, it was really hard. Yes, no, I bet it was really I'd hard. Just like, so I'd just like to say to you, kudos for your courage. Um, yeah, I mean I've written privately through my life and I've written poetry and and written things that nobody's nobody else has ever seen and and that's right that's that's what writers do there's 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 writing that is very private paradoxically this book is the most private personal thing I've ever written and I've gone and publicized the thing so um no I'm not not making a joke of it but it is a bit of a a strange one and i was so driven michael i was just so driven by this topic um and the and the journalist in me wanted to to put it out there because there wasn't very much really there's 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 websites and there's there's isolated things but um anyway i just forged ahead and I, as i'm a bit older uh, just basically say, oh, go for it. Well, just congratulations it. on congratulations on a great piece of work, Robert. Thank you very much. Um, when we first met at that cafe in Cambridge, um, you said to me at one point, "I don't know if I want to put my name on the cover." Mm, mm. What made you change your mind? What made you? Because I remember that conversation. You really weren't sure, were you, then? Although I could see you. I, I can remember sitting in there and we, we found that table and we had the coffee, the, the Americano of life changing, um, as we <laughs> were not calling it. <laughs> and, and you had your manuscript. It wasn't the final one, but it was pretty much there. You are a fantastic writer. Um, it's a privilege to work with your words. It makes it so much easier when the words are so beautifully written. And there's all these 
there's paper all over this table. I don't know what people thought we were doing, but there's paper everywhere on the table in this cafe. But I can remember <laughs> saying these amazing words and you said, I don't know if I want to put my name on it. So yeah, what made you change your mind about that? And why did you not want to put your name on it? Well, yeah, first of all, um, I'm fine. I'm still, still, um, I have the books out, but I still have very mixed feelings about, no, no, absolutely 100% doing it writing it was right but and meet you in the community all of you are are my new friends that like have come out about being a childless man and um that's a hundred percent fine and it's energizing it's wonderful and support and a real real sense of community it's absolutely brilliant the the issue i have and my thinking about remaining anonymous uh, to begin with was all my long-standing friends because I came to this issue and started vocalizing about the issue in my 60s some I've known some of my friends for 40 or 50 years going back to university and they've never seen me like this they just think oh Robert hasn't married my Robert hasn't had children but this is Robert and I'm I'm now just um beginning to to get in, back in touch and meet these people and there's a bit of confusion there bewilderment and particularly if they're married or um, childless by choice um it's become very complex and embarrassing um it hasn't changed one bit the the thought that i've done the right thing and written this but I'm now um, readjusting and trying to explain to them what the issue is. I mean, just speaking to somebody two, three days ago up in Derbyshire, um, who, who I've known for fifty over fifty years, and he says, "I I just don't see what the issue is." He's married with two children. Um, and so this is going to be the start of another journey is to decide just how I approach this. I, I feel quite schizophrenic about it. So the, the reason originally perhaps wanting to re remain anonymous was I was anticipating this, what is now happening. But I'm absolutely sure I took the right decision because... Basically, I've done it and people can take it or leave it, really. <laughs> a sense of feeling of catharticism, that it was a good letting go process, perhaps, for you? Does that is that true? Exactly. Yeah, it's absolutely cathartic. And also um, having the book developed towards an acceptance as well, that the, the book itself was organic. I didn't know at the beginning what, what was going to go on. I threw these pieces at the, at the screen. Uh, or the page, um, not knowing the context or how it developed. So it really was organic growth, which was really interesting as a as a creative process. Yeah, we know that feeling well as a podcast. I think we we, <laughs> still, we would still be here either doing what we're doing. Yeah, yeah the, it's and it's there's a, a, maybe perhaps there's there's a, a positive in that in the not necessarily around age, 
and life experience, but perhaps around leaps of faith, just going, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this because, because actually, mm. in in parallel to you, by designing the book and actually on pretty much everything where I've mentioned it, it's like the your story parallels to a degree the fact that you know yes I'm also childless and I've kept my design hat as you referred to earlier on this is that hat and this is the podcast hat and even to very recently actually on most of the um the episodes I put myself as Berenice Smith I didn't put Berenice Howard Smith because that's what I use for my design stuff and now it's the same Mm. I just put it all in it's just kind of all you know why was I trying to hide this stuff but there is a degree of um a degree of kind of sort of yeah opening yourself up to other people's opinions and sometimes those opinions can be pretty tough but in conversely mm. by giving your story you've helped other people who you may who hopefully you will meet but in time you may never meet but you've given them such a big gift in return by opening up a conversation i think that when i said to you before about the book being groundbreaking genuinely mean that because it complements um robin's work beautifully that more academic side with something that's more personal it's taking some of robin's facts and saying well actually here here am i and here are all these other men and yeah we're we're evidence to Mm -hmm. robin's research Mm -hmm. it's very lovely um collaboration in that sense so yes there's the collaboration in terms of of the childless community but that collaboration with in terms of writing and content with robin's work i think is is quite tremendous it's it's quite something yeah 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 and the the, the fact that um you personally were would would get the thing you get the theme it was just like i'd fallen on my feet so it was thank you it's just brilliant oh it's a pleasure well again there's another there's that other collaboration that that berenice can mention about how the development of the book as well mm-hmm. is a, is almost a, a, an entirely childless collaboration yes it is rosalind yeah. is um the editor um i'll just mention her name i won't give any more details mm-hmm. because um for her confidentiality but yeah rosalind was your editor on this robert and annie who mm-hmm. is um from proof now her sister has a connection to ivf annie herself is a parent but actually is probably one of the one of the people that i spoke to oh about a year or more ago we had a coffee and um yeah we had a really lovely chat about it so she has a great allyship in terms of kind of childlessness in a different way yeah, but yeah that was a nice yeah, sure. yeah. rosalind and you got yeah. on house on fire with the editing i've never seen so much red pen i was between really i mean often what i find with some of my um clients um either on websites because i design websites too um and all sorts of different types of design it isn't just books but it's can be quite hard to get people to edit words um i'd simply say to to robert look um this is overrunning the testimonials the praise for that section in particular it overran by literally a couple of lines and I, and I thought oh gosh I've got to go back to Robin just that I can't alter the design to get this back because you need a consistency in the design I'm not going to go too nerdy mm-hmm. brain me back if I talk too much about book design but um 
And I thought, <laughs> oh, he's never going to, he's not going to want to cut that because they're all such lovely words. But I mentioned it anyway in a conversation with you. And you're like, yep, that's fine. And literally came back within about half an hour with, with cut this out, that out, that out, this out. And I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> Ruthless with a red. Well, that's that's, Very that's the journal working at speed to do it to a deadline, self-imposed deadline. Yeah. Very, yeah. very good. You, yeah. F- fantastic experience working with you because I think that yes, your journalism like, experience just comes through totally. Oh. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing about about yeah, it's a, a good story in, in how to write a book as much as it is about the word. Right in it isn't it yeah mm-hmm. would it be a good time to to read a, oh, an extract yes please do yes. Shall, shall i the, 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 there was a bit of i've got had some coverage in the sunday times a couple of weeks ago two weeks ago today i think or was it three um and the guy that in, and he did a did an article uh in the news section which was great and the piece that uh that leapt out for him was the very first section um, of the book called uh, it's called All Aboard the Pronatalism Express and it's got three sections and the first one is called The Train so shall I read that one Um, they got on at West Ham Station and sat opposite me I'd started my journey on the Jubilee Line at Stratford and was going into central London to see some exhibition. I forget what it was. They were a happy Saturday morning family. Mum, dad, two kids, about ten and eight. Where were they going? The Science Museum, Madame Tussauds, the changing of the guard, McDonald's. It was a weekend scene, a flurry of activity the snatching back of mobile phones, the pulling of faces, the admonitory glances from a parent when they thought one of the kids had transgressed tube train etiquette. It was a display of anarchic freedom acted out in the calm waters of confident parental love. It was playing up, but within boundaries, boundaries which everyone was familiar with. My partner and I were drawn into this exhibition of generational jousting, We glanced at each other and smiled. The smile stayed on our lips as we looked across the gangway at the mother. She acknowledged us and produced a faint, watery grin. The train entered the tunnel just after Canning Town, and then the magic broke. Something in me snapped. What I'd been watching was no longer an enchanting performance. Now all I could see was a family of four and all I could feel was a knife plunged into my ribs. I felt sick, leaned forward, and clenched my teeth. One arm lifted without purpose and fell again into my lap. I stared at the advertisements. One was for online dating, another for hair gel. A third asked customers to continue to wear a face mask. Are you okay? My partner asked. Sorry, I can't take this anymore. I've got to move. She sighed. Not again. You did this last week. I know. I can't help it. Didn't you think it's time you accepted the fact that every time you travel on the tube, 
you're going to see families. Yes, of course, it's time. I sarcastically echoed her choice of words. I got up and walked down the carriage, leaving it up to her whether she followed or stayed put. Luckily, she followed me, and I never saw that family again. I was breathing heavily. My heart was beating hard. Beads of sweat had broken out on my brow. I sat down in an empty seat and she joined me, taking my hand and squeezing it. She leant across and kissed me on the lips. God, I was lucky to have her. Sorry, I said, I just can't stand it. Staring me in the face like that, mocking me for all I haven't achieved. That's the first section in the book. If you don't turn that into an audio book, I will nag you forever and ever because <laughs> you write and you read beautifully. That is wonderful. Thank you so much, Robert. That is just absolutely lovely and incredibly moving. I, that was the, one of the chapters you showed me at the start, along with the one um, with your photograph and um, just incredible. I think it I think it's yeah. one of the things, Michael, I don't know about you, but when we set up the podcast, it was to hear people's voices and the authenticity. And it comes through terribly in that. And I think it actually sums up so much, doesn't it? Of you know, whatever gender you are, watching happy families for that pronatalism in the title, it just is so um Mm. something I think we all can feel and empathise with, whether it's happened to us or not. And it's the very, for me, the very ordinariness of the situation. Yeah. yeah. Which kind of kind of makes it worse because yeah. you're expected just to mm-hmm. fit in and accept it. And it's the very thing that's causing the pain. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's those... I, I'm trying to put into words what Sarah might say at this point, who's on holiday, by the way, for all our listeners who are mm. Sarah, she's in Scotland at the moment. But I think she would probably want to sort of say something along the lines of it's that that everyday kind of trauma that one experiences. That is, and how to deal with that, because you never quite know what's going to happen when you leave the house. Mm. Um, that can be a really daunting and scary place when you're childless, not by choice. Whatever the reason is, you, you just don't know what's going to happen the moment you leave your front door. And there is another chapter in this book that I think was, was very, I thought was really important, was about the babies next door. Ah, yeah. That pa- I, I, too, somehow parallel to me in that there you are, you've left the house, you have this incident on the tube train that is not really an incident but it is an incident it's you, you can't measure the incidentsness the, the, the importance of it i don't know quite what the word is i'm looking for here but you know obviously there's a level of impact with that mm. equally yeah the, the changing nature of where you live as well i think the baby's next door is it's a slightly longer extract mm can read it if you wish yeah please do shall i 
yeah you can it would be interesting to see them together i think and to see what our listeners think okay actually as i sit here the babies are next door i'm in the terraced house and um babies one side and babies the other from in this room so this is where i wrote this (laughs) this is towards the end of the book so um this is preceded by some sections which uh was a little bit more thoughtful and less uh raw so it's called the babies next door my house keys jangled and the baby in the pram looked up one year old ralph for once i remembered the name my neighbors had given him turned his little head and the tiniest of smiles played at the corners of his mouth. At least I think it was Ralph and not Eva, who was his twin sister. At first, I couldn't tell the difference, but 12 months into their little lives, I thought I'd pinned it down. Besides, Eva was the one who was usually asleep, so the chances are it was Ralph. The mother's Ukrainian and the father's Lithuanian. And within weeks of their birth, they'd asked us to act as a witness for the twins' passport applications. It was from that point on that we got to know them. The wrapping up of the babies before they were put in their double pram and given their walk down the road became a daily ritual. The wife's mother lived with the family and we could hear her through the walls singing to the children. It was a reassuring sound the well-practiced Ukrainian folk songs being handed out, being, sorry, being hauled out of her maternal memory. Usually, I'm very sensitive to intrusive sound, and it can upset me, but this was joyous, and I even looked forward to it. It added another dimension to our quiet, retired lives. I jangled the keys again, trying to establish a rhythm this time, copying the grandmother's technique. Ralph smiled, and now I could see it was a clear smile, a happy one. Mother and grandmother turned to me, and the mother said across the low fence, Hello, Rob, how are you today? How's your wife's foot? Is it getting better? My partner and I weren't married, but I let it run. I told them it was slowly improving. A few weeks before, we got into a discussion with them about soup and how we love to make our own. Me too, said the mother. Rob makes the most amazing spicy parsnip soup. You must come round and have some with us. I couldn't be sure, but I reckoned it was the kind of over-the-fence conversation that neighbours used to have before people changed and did their chatting on mobile phones. For years, I, and then both of us after we moved in together, had just nodded to my neighbours when we met, hardly managing a word. Before the babies arrived, we used to hear heated discussions, rows perhaps, through the wall, and we decided not to be in a hurry to become more friendly with them. Then Ralph and Eva arrived, and the shouting stopped. And it wasn't replaced by crying. At least we didn't hear it from our side. My partner's maternal instincts kicked in, and bonds were quickly made. She knew what to say. Eva takes after you, doesn't she? With the genius of motherhood, she just came out with it. 
there was no way she couldn't have uttered the immortal mantra. It was an arrow of compassion shot directly at the mother's heart, at the lodestar which is conception, something which has been spoken ever since babies were born. It was totally unoriginal and all the stronger for that. The freshness of new, surprising thinking would have been inappropriate. It marked a gathering in of shared, ritualised caring and giving. After we helped them obtain British passports for the babies, as a token of their thanks, they gave us some flowers, chocolates and a bottle of Lithuanian liqueur. Just six months later, the English couple living on the other side of us had a baby too. She always had the, She almost had the same name, Evie rather than Eva. The other day we met the father with the pram, taking his weekend parental duties seriously. My, my partner pointed out how pretty Evie was. Like the father, she said. I couldn't tell, her eyes so bundled up in fleshy skin. She lay spread-eagled, looking up at the world without blinking. Her podgy pink arms were at right angles to her body, almost touching the sides of the pram. Then her arms flailed in unison as if she wanted to fly. Then, for some unfathomable reason, a line from that wonderful Ted Hughes poem, Full Moon and Little Frida, came to mind. It goes, The moon has stepped back like an artist amazed at a work that points at him amazed. Back with my neighbour on the pavement, I couldn't think of anything to say, so I reverted to male stereotype. Football. He supports Chelsea, so I managed to mouth some platitudes about how important the following weekend's games were for both of us. But it was the sight of his baby that lingered in my mind, a generous lump of loved flesh and spirit. That night in bed, as I lay, ne lay next to my partner, our bodies entwined, I mused. I pressed her hand and she pressed mine. There was no need for words. I am blessed to be with this amazing woman. Is this the start of the healing? Thank you, Robert. That was a much longer passage, but a very moving one as well. Yeah, yes, it's longer, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's really lovely. You mentioned your partner, yeah. clearly a very important relationship for you, for your partner. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, she's uh, a widow and she's got uh, three children. So that's an interesting dynamic as well. Yes. Yeah, I can imagine. Anyway, perhaps it's time to open this out a bit to a broader community. I don't know. Yes. Um, yeah. It's been very internal. I, it I wear it's been very <laughs> Any questions, or if you'd like to come off mute and ask any questions or pop anything in the chat and ask Robert anything, then please do so. It's an opportunity. It's been quite quiet on the chat. I think everyone's been mesmerised by your your beautiful words. 
whilst we're waiting for people to come to come to us um with the questions michael um robert could maybe you could talk about the importance of the childless men's community in relation to the work with with the words rather that are in i was wanted to be a dad men without children what was what was the the it like in terms of kind of getting that those testimonials in was that an easy thing to do was it quite difficult to do how did that all work that relationship well well the guys who had, uh, filled in the in the uh, survey uh, they sent them to me and um i was in in contact with them about permissions and um what they felt about them being used and in what environment um and quite understandably some some people um wanted to remain anonymous um others were very open about it and were and agreed to have their photos and that's a discussion that you and I had about you know seeing the faces these are real people so that's worked really well um some people didn't want their photos in so um it really was i just followed the decisions of 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 the individual guys and um luckily there were uh enough of them who were very happy to to be in the book and and that was great and michael you wrote one the um forward with andy as well for the book as well didn't you yeah look i was honored can i just say that that was that was my very first time i've been asked to do a forward for a book so um you've made me feel pretty special robert i can tell you this uh well, this this gruff this gruff hairy bloke from australia from australia being <laughs> a uh but uh right in the forward wow well it was a joint a joint a joint project with you and andy yeah so um i know you put your heads together about it and um they're they're joint ideas and it's just a, a, i couldn't have wanted for anything better as a Ford it was wonderful so thank you for that it was brilliant no look thank you but uh, again look it was really easy for Andy and I to write that because straight off the bat we're on the same page we thought brilliant piece of work um it it really sang to the that first first passage you wrote that read out earlier uh, about the train it it really the way you wrote it really sung to that where you just don't know what what's coming along it could be the most insignificant thing to some will just be boom hit you the way that the the way that I explained it to Andy it's a bit like a machine gun that staccato you just boom 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 the way you wrote it and I thought that was great because that's what I perceive our life to be like you don't know Mm. where they're coming from but they'll they'll boom they'll hit you boom they'll hit you so yeah, and and again, what what was so refreshing about that, if I can say those words, is that I can't think that of many people that have actually put that in words and actually had the courage to put that out there and say this is what this situation makes me feel like and do. So. Mm. Yeah, it was I, a great, great example of that courage I was talking about, Robert. Thank, thank you, Michael. Um, I've, I've been talking uh, with my partner about the book in the in the in recent days and weeks, and I, I think it's also about honesty. And it, it 
almost if there's another theme that it, it is about childless being childless but it's also about an experiment in being honest and there are levels of honesty aren't there there's there's, there's writers who say well this is i've written this very honest book but only so far as as is comfortable for them so i was very interested in really pushing that further and saying and pointing the accusing finger at myself for some of the things that that um happened in my life to uh which are in the book um uh as well as um raising questions about behavior of other people so it's 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 deliberately uncomfortable in some places and 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 some people won't like it um but um uh, I, I think I, I I think you're underselling it, Robert. I think it's real. That, that's what um, that's what comes across to me is is the realism of the book. It's it's yeah. authentic and it's real. So what was what was the hardest chapter to write? Oh oh, I I know that straight away. It's um, let's call left behind, and I think take. Uh, so much of the thinking behind this is 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 due to a lot of people, particularly Robin Hadley, and uh, his very interesting um, point about we have to go back to our childhood often if we're childless, not by choice, to look for reasons that it's ended up like this. This is nothing to do with infertility, but. Mm. Um, the reason for this and so that's what i did and uh uh i just looked at my upbringing but also looked for reasons why uh i might have uh, ended up as childless that was really painful uh to do and uh, aware of how pain might upset other people in the family so that no that was dangerous it felt a bit dangerous um, and we'll see how how it how that one settles because not everybody's read it yet. I also in that chapter talk about um, rites of passage in life that 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 you pass through, like you know the eighteenth birthday, twenty first birthday, um, being best man at the friend's wedding, that sort of thing. Those sort of things that bring you into uh, into adult life. Um, for some reason, they pretty well all of them passed me by because the way my family was and my parents were very reticent, um, shy people. So I kind of lots of stuff that people naturally grow up with passed me by. So a whole complex of reasons why um, uh, looking back at the the relationship you have with your main caregiver is usually a parent. Um, is can point to why uh, one ends up being alone and also childless. We've got um, got something in from our audience, and um, I'll just read this. And it said, very inspiring, Robert. I've bought the book for my husband. He feels sad when he sees families and children, especially children who are ignored or neglected. And thank you for stepping out and making yourself vulnerable and visible. That was extremely brave and will have inspired and touched so many men and women. I would absolutely agree with that. I know, As I said, I know of a few people now uh, down under that have bought your book. Also, can you tell us more about your play? Is it published work? 
that we can read or buy? Um, I'm afraid not. It's a complete mess. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's about um, it's five or five or six different versions, and um, I know I mentioned this to um, the people at the Storyhouse in Chester last year, and they said, "Well, maybe get it ready for um, putting on in 2023." Well, well, that didn't happen. Um, I hope to go back to it and um, put it on in some shape or form, definitely. And it, the name will probably stay the same, empty. But for now, it's just quietly simmering. That answers my so, question, which was, what what next? And I think that's probably your what next, isn't it, now? Do you, you feel inspired now? And yeah. 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 I do, I do. And so the book has helped me believe more in the play. But, uh, yeah. If someone's thinking of writing a book about childlessness, what would be your advice to them? Oh, what a question, Michael. Um, it's not mine. It's Berenice's. She put it in the chat, so I can't take credit for it. All right. My, uh, that's a great question. Sorry. <laughs> I was just thinking no, no. Get a lot of people who I certainly have people approach me and ask about writing a book. And the spoiler is that actually, as you already know, Robert, that this book has led me and a few other people who've got experience within books and different areas of, of book construction, if you like, um, to think of a, a solution to that. But I'm kind of curious, you've been through this experience, you've taken a huge amount of courage, you've created something that isn't just a a memoir, but it's also a help guide, because we ought to mention at this point that the back mm, of the book, yeah. there are the rest of the testimonials, which are extensive, and there is an, a, a, a wealth of information. So it's not just really a book for people, men who are childless, it's for women who are childless, it's for everybody. It's also for people, I think, who want to be better allies to childless people too, because there's a lot in the book there where people can go off and do their own research and learning. But that took a lot of courage for you to do. So if someone's sitting here, they're listening to you reading and thinking, wow, I want to give that a go. Where do they start? I I would say um, don't think of a book to begin with, but write enough, so 10,000, 20,000 words in, in one piece or in several pieces, and then look at it and consider whether that that should be published i think um listen to your heart listen listen to write what you want just write out of yourself uh and then see what happens so um this is such a raw personal topic that there's no way you can really package it uh in in neatly and so to go mining into yourself deeply, uh, particularly if it's if it's um, um, if you're a man, because there's there's very little out there, and so there's not a there's not a language. One of the reasons I wrote raw and unstructured and, and, and rough edged is because there was no other language that I thought would work. It it, it because the, there's no context yet for it. With women writing about this, that it's more. It's further down the line, 
and it's more sophisticated uh, as it should be. And um, the the the, the male, men writing about it are not there yet. So yeah, just just do it. Get and 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 read it to friends and see what they think. People you trust, and then publication idea publication comes at the end or doesn't come then if that's any help it is i think that's really yeah that's fantastic i think the other thing i would say is that some people just don't particularly like to write but i think these days what i've found in fact michael you and i've talked about this is that actually write speaking into your phone into anything and then getting it transcribed is another way because sometimes it works i often find mm. i I write a lot. I do quite a lot of scribbles and we'll sit and put stuff down. I also draw an awful lot. I I had real problems during um, my creative writing um, studies with the, the Open University where it was like I had to write and I just draw. I'm terrible for it. And I had to really write and really work hard at writing because it wasn't something that I found came to me as naturally as drawing. But one of the other things another student found was that she could actually speak better than she could write. And that was the way she did it. She just sat there. She'd go off on dog walks and then start to just record stuff because that's where she got the thought process going. And then you've got mm. words, and then you can play with the word order once you've got it transcribed and you can use all sorts of things to do. That's lots of tools to do it that are quite cheap. Yeah. And just play around then with the word order too. But yeah, I think just do it. Yeah, you're right. It's it's that thing where you just got to go with it and do it. And don't think too much about the the end goal, um, because publishing, self-publishing, like you say at the start, is actually you're in control. You've got equally, it's quite expensive. It's also quite hard work as well. But it is incredibly um, emotional, I think, is the word I want to say, particularly with this book. You know, you've done this. Mm. You've, we've had the conversation. It's been very much a collaboration. And I think that comes across in all of the words as well it's very heart-led yeah i think the, the actual creative process oh um i find walking really helps mm. walking gardening mm. it kind of i i'm just sort of realizing it can release all sorts of thoughts that uh that have mm. stay there unless you have this so walking is great <laughs> yeah it is yeah i have the most intelligent conversations with my dog on the walk um to the point where mm. my now know that I'm coming because I'm constantly chatting. I literally speak out loud to the dog. It's it's quite terrifying, really. Um, but they... <laughs> <laughs> so, Robert, we have a we have another comment from our audience, um, and it says, "I certainly felt like I was listening to your heart when you were reading the extracts." So, like Berenice says, I think there's an audio book there somewhere. Yeah, there is. I know. I know a way well, to. <laughs> we'll have to chat okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll collaborate about that later that sounds great well you've got the the audio um expert here as well i want to just end the podcast if i can this morning by reading back out to you the review that was on um landed on amazon um that was yesterday or the day before it was certainly well, this week because uh, thought that that was really Emma 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 B Emma B says um my brother is childless not by choice I am child free 
and we found a talking point through Robert's elegant words on a topic we danced around as it's so difficult. It's simply beautiful, a sensitive design that supports the heartbreaking and hopeful testimonies. I have read Robin A. Havley's website and found Michael Hughes and his work at the full stop. Wow, thank you. Mm -hmm. I think that's incredibly moving because actually what you've found there is someone who is child free, who has learned to communicate with a, a sibling who is childless. Mm. That's quite, mm. isn't it? And I think it, uh, another aspect of this, this, this book is far from being just for the childless. It's for everyone, including parents. And that would be, if, if I'm talking about success, I don't know what that is really, but if, if it reached out to the community, uh, to, to people who are parents and, and all ages and not part of the childless community, that would be really success for me. So to, to get people thinking about what it means to be childless. Yeah, I can understand that. It's something we, we I love it when we hear from people who are child free or who are parents and they've listened to us and gone, oh, yeah, OK, I, I, I kind of get it now. Um, mm. I think that's an incredibly powerful moment. It's incredibly powerful to know that we are listened to by people who are childless like us. I think that's incredibly important and we never ever ever take that for granted but by having people creating alliances by listening to us and reading i always wanted to be a dad is powerful because it makes it easier for other people who are childless so it creates a, a kind of like a, a circle of healing along the line and i think that's incredibly informative and powerful for, for all of us thank you for joining us today thank robert. you robert it's been an absolute Thank you very much for having me. It's a great honour. It really is. Thanks for listening. And if you want to find out more about Robert's book, you can find it on Amazon. And if you want to find out more about our podcast or have a burning topic we have not covered, then please reach out to us as we would like to be as inclusive and diverse as possible. And you can find us at www.thefullstoppod.com or Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Oh, and we have a channel on YouTube as well. And at our website, you can sign up for our listeners list, where you can keep up to date with what's going on in our world. And also, don't forget about our online community, where you are most welcome in whatever way you identify yourself. Now, we would also love it if you could rate the podcast on the platform you're using. This will help the algorithm get us in front of more of our community. And as always, it's important for us to let you know you are not alone. Morning. Hello. Hello. <laughs> oh my gosh, Michael. Sorry, can't cope with how to beard. Oh my gosh, you look so different. Well, Vicky's been at me for ages. I'll shave it off, shave it off. And as soon as I have, she's gone, oh, can you put it back on? <laughs> well, you, well, you can. I think that's that's the amazing thing about like being a being a chap is that you, you can just grow a beard. Robert, have you ever grown a beard? I have, yes, uh, uh, decades ago. Um, 
never never to be repeated. It adds about fifteen years to my age. <laughs> yeah, but for me, for me, it um, it covers up the multitude of chins. Uh, and Michael, it grows on you. Ha ha ha. <laughs> 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 oh no.